0: Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while?
1: Then listen to the Wiki Ship Down podcast. We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is peer editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us.
0: While you're at it, follow us on all social media at Wikiship Down. I'm Ruth Ann.
1: I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Um, okay, so we're rolling. Uh, I'm gonna count us down. So, uh, oh, this
2: is the scary part.
0: Three. I
2: fucking never know what's gonna happen. Two. I, might, I don't know. Fucking sandwiches. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. I am Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. And today we have a very special guest. Who is it? Lex Michael.
2: Who is it? Uh hello. Um I who the fuck? What? Okay, sorry. Hey <laughs> everybody who's listening. It's 4:21 when we're recording this and it was a long night. Uh our guest today is uh is an old friend of mine, one of my oldest and dearest friends. He's uh he's a writer. He's a guy who does things. Uh he likes anime more than I do. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. JQ Salazar. Hey dude. Hey, hello there. Uh, so you're Skyping in from where? I'm here in Aurora, Colorado. So he's not actually here in the room with us. So if you were to wander past where we're recording the show, every so often it would look like we're talking to nobody. Yeah, We'd say something, there'd be no response, and you would be very uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, I'd like to imagine it's like in Family Guy when they cut to a uh, a flashback and everyone just kind of sits still. That's what it's gonna be like. Uh what? So okay. There's a family guy bit where they go back in time and they see themselves doing cutaway jokes and essentially everyone just like stops moving and stops like talking. Mm, and then they come good. back. Seen that. Yeah, it's it's a real good bit. I will take your word for it. Thank so, you. All right.
2: That was really that was uh that was half an intro that barely contextualizes who <laughs> you are at all. Um so you, you and I, we've known each other, what, since high school, I guess? Yes, yes. Yes, that is accurate. Good. Thank you for confirming that. Uh, and you, you, uh, you've been listening to the show pretty regularly, and you've been uh, quietly contributing in, in small ways to the program. Uh, you will uh, frequently throw—you'll throw input that finds its way in, and uh, you also throw commentary that frequently finds its way in as well, and you also, as mentioned, like anime more than I do. Uh, And that is how I think we ended up, we ended up here where we are today. Tari, where are we today?
0: Today, we're here on the show where we talk about different things that built us up as people, whether it be TV, movies, spoken word, music, other things. uh, And we share them with you, the audience, and we share it with each other. And hopefully it builds you up. We are the retrospective. That's introspective. But also, this is a part two of a Vampire Hunter D series that we were doing last week. We talked about the 1985 version. um, And then we got a bunch of flack from Jay. And so now we're doing the 2000s version. uh, And we, we, we brought him in to be our expert. Yeah. So this is this is
2: uh, the first time. Like, so Jay, every time that we've done an anime episode, right? Like, you've you've had feelings, you've had opinions about the thing. Yes, (laughs) but the thing, not just the thing that we were watching, but also uh, the conversations that we were having. And when I mentioned to you that we were going to be talking about Vampire Hunter D, and then specified that it was the eighty-five version and not uh, the two thousand follow-up Bloodlust, you seemed uh, genuinely and deeply offended. Yeah. Well you know i wouldn't say i was offended
1: but um the whole thing is <laughs> you told me that you were only going to do the first one the 85 version and that's where i was like no 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 like you got if you're going to pick one you got to do the 2000s but since you obviously chose to do both then totally cool even better actually you know
2: so all right so why though why why if we were if we were only going to do one why would you say it is so crucial that we we do Bloodlust. If we were only doing one of them, why why that one as opposed to the original? Okay, well, I got to take it back a little. Okay.
1: Um, The way I discovered Vampire Hunter D, I was in high school, and I had actually just seen Interview with the Vampire for the first time. My dad showed it to me. And I was, you know, very impressionable and hadn't really had, like, a good vampire outlet. And I didn't know I needed one, and I did. And Interview with the Vampire was the first one. I totally fell in love with the world, the characters, the idea of vampirism was a really strong connection for me. So I decided to explore, see what else was out there. And I ended up at a Barnes and Noble and they had the first uh, Vampire Hunter D novel had just been translated into English, like within a few months of me finding it. And this, for those who don't know, the series started in the 80s. Um, the writers started writing them in the 80s, but they weren't translated until 2005. And I think there's like 30 something novels now, but only like 20 something of them have been translated into English because it's like a... Ongoing process, like the the ones that came out in two thousand nine are just coming out now in the states. So that's that. But you know, I, I really fell in love with the character. What it was through the writing is, you know, he's a very isolated, uh, guilt ridden, at war with himself, half vampire, half human. And I hadn't heard anything like that before. It was either you're a vampire or you're not. I hadn't heard of peers. Um you know,
2: and it just intrigued me. Um, so I looked so up. So wait, and- so wait, wait, wait. wait sorry, sorry to interrupt you. So you haven't, you hadn't seen Blade at that point. I had, but like, I don't know. It, it didn't
1: do it for me in the in the same way this did. Um, no, like Stephen Dorff getting cut in
2: half. No, and like yeah, his, well, okay. CG yeah. blood like fuses but, his torso well, <laughs> back to his legs. That doesn't do it for you. That I does guess, it for everybody. I guess it That's did. That's what do I prayed to. It did,
1: but but there was something about the the way Blade is portrayed in the films. There's like. I want to say, like, a faux amount of depth to him in, like, a Hollywood sense, you know? Yes, a lot of it is really more about looking cool in the leather and sunglasses. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Vampire Hunter D, you know, as far as, you know, it's a novel, so you can get across a lot more depth and and, uh, history and backstory and stuff. So, you know, I read the first one, and I was like, this is awesome, and I wanted to keep going. So I read, I think I read, like, four or five of them before I kind of grew out of it. Because, I mean, to be honest, they're, you know, they're a little bit for the younger crowd novels. I don't know how much they hold up now. I haven't looked at them in like over 10 years, but it was a phase, but you know, it stuck with me. And once I've read the books, I've seeked out the films and I watched the 85 version. And I remember thinking, like, this is cool, you know, this is okay, but like it didn't really do much for me. But when I saw Bloodlust, it felt like it really captured what I thought the novel was trying to get across. And First of all, the story in Bloodlust, I think, is way more interesting than the one in the the 85 version. I mean, you have multiple perspectives, you have multiple things going on, the plot really branches out, and it adds Dee's backstory, which the 85 version really doesn't have a whole lot of depth for the character, he just sort of shows up and and does stuff, and there's a couple lines here and there to hint at who he is, but in Bloodlust, there's definitely at least, like, three key scenes that get under the skin of who Dee is, and how he feels about the world, which he's such a silent protagonist that for the most part, you don't get that. So the few times you do, it feels really enriching, at least yeah. to me.
0: Um, so I guess I have a question in that. Is the 85 version a specific adaptation of one of the novels or is it just a compilation of the idea of D that they made an original story <sighs> it's for? mostly no, the, yeah. first one, it's the first it? one, isn't it? It's I the thought, first yeah, novel okay. and Bloodlust is the third novel. Right. Um, and
1: actually a little key tidbit is the scene where D goes to buy a new horse and the old man gives that whole spiel to the sheriff. Um, Yeah. That story he gives about the kids being kidnapped by the vampires. That's the story of the second novel, Ah. which is also like the first three novels are to me are the key, the key D novels. So
0: yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, Yeah. I, regarding the, the 85 version um, it totally makes sense that, they just had him stroll in, like they I feel like anime in the '80s had a, a boner for uh, Clint Eastwood, so you got right, uh, like the,
2: very much like the archetypical man with no name, just right. like the lone gunslinger, shows yeah. up into town, takes on one mission, kills the fuck out of everybody, and then leaves town.
0: Yeah, so it it definitely like tracks that essentially they were like, "Yo, we gotta make this movie just like that." Um, we gotta make the because. Uh it was a, it was a very big trend. Like uh you saw it in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure as well. I don't know if you watched that, Jay, but like I have not. the third season, the main JoJo is a Clint Eastwood type. Um he's super silent, uh he's a little disrespectful to women. Um and like they made him pretty much look like Clint Eastwood. I
2: love for a second you started talking to people that weren't in the room. Cause like I didn't see that. You're like, you saw it in jo- Jojo's what now?
0: <laughs> Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. I see.
2: I did not. I didn't see shit in Jojo's Bizarre
0: Adventure. Because I'm talking I have to not the audience, bro. Seen
2: Jojo. Who's Jojo? Uh,
0: Jojo is a series. It's a bloodline like of people. And? Yeah, yeah. Casey and Jojo. Okay. So like after Casey <laughs> and Jojo, familiar. I feel more Broke out from Joe to see. Okay. Um, Jojo was like, "Fuck you, KC. I'm going to go do my own thing." And then started hanging out with some vampires oh, and demons and gods. Um it was a really bizarre adventure, one would say. What happened to KC? KC uh started doing Christian music. Oh. He went the Kelly route. Oh, Kelly. Um, yeah. I don't know much Kelly, about Jojo's bizarre geez, adventure, but on. I do know that uh
1: Takashi Mike turned it into a feature length film like a year or two ago, maybe three years ago.
2: But, what Jojo's Jojo? Yeah, Jojo's the Jojo Star Adventure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. See, this this is now we're incorporating more familiar elements and I feel safer. Okay, so now that I know Takashi Mike made this a movie, I'll go seek out the movie. <laughs> that seems I haven't like it'll take it, less so, time.
1: I don't know.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen it. I've I've only been watching the series, which is really good, except for that. Uh, Clint Eastwood third season which is a boring but season. speaking <laughs> of stuff you haven't seen yes
2: uh so you hadn't seen Tari, you hadn't seen Bloodlust before you you mentioned last week that you discovered Vampire Hunter D originally right when you were a bit yes. younger yeah and my only frame of reference for Vampire Hunter D as I established after the fact uh was, Jay, I believe that you were into it in high school, like around the time that we met. And right. I think that's really the only frame of reference I had for it. Um, So I'd never seen this. Tari, you'd never seen this. Nope. But you're a fan of the original. Yes. And, and Jay has established uh, this This movie just fills you up with glitter. Uh, Pretty much. So, so Tari, how, do you, how did you feel about Bloodlust coming to it as somebody who only had the original, like had a relationship with the original for a long time as a frame of reference was coming to this one? new
0: um i i really liked it uh i thought it was really well done uh the the 80s version and we talked about this a little bit last week in that um i i was mostly there for them sweet sweet fights Yes. um and this one uh, as jay was saying had a lot more depth to it it had a a numer uh, like it had a lot of nuance, especially in the way yes. that like all the characters interacted.
2: Right. And I wonder if that's a byproduct of, because I agree there was uh, a, a lot more nuance and a lot uh, m- many more layers to all of the individual characters motivations. And I wonder if that is simply a byproduct of right. Jay, I remember you telling me, that it's based on an English language script, which is uh, right, a rarity right. not pretty non-existent in anime. And I'm wondering if it's just the sheer because we're obviously native English speakers. Yeah. If it's just the the absence of a of a translation barrier. You know what I mean? Like you can you you don't lose certain nuances in translation. And even though I do think the script is a little bit more ambitious foundationally, I I have to assume that that's a big factor in being able to convey all of that to a native english-speaking audience
0: I actually I disagree I yeah? think that I think that it's that the sensibilities of the audiences and the storytellers had uh, evolved over time like the 80s especially when it came to anime was all about like visual spectacle and very simple storytelling um, with it with a few exceptions um, but I feel like the the audience had grown to a point where like they need that nuance they can't just they don't They're not big surface story consumers. And so they had to like really dive in. And I assume that like the novels uh, do kind of dive into these pieces, whereas like the 80s uh, movie wasn't interested. It was about like all of those like surface pieces. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I I mean, I think it's definitely a case of both. Um, You know, it's certainly what you're saying is 80s anime – had its own thing going on, and it's very evident in, you know, 1985, Vampire Hunter D. But also, I look at the director of uh, Bloodlust, who is um, Yoshiaki Kawajiri, and he also did Ninja Scroll, which is also to be considered one of the, you know, strongest anime films out there. Um, And actually, I mean, I I know, Tari, you said that you you didn't get through Ninja Scroll on the last podcast. Um, I I didn't. I, I forgive you, but... Uh, his, uh, his I mean, face
2: I just want everybody to know his face is doing some pretty <laughs> impressive acrobatics right now I just couldn't get like you know the exact scene I'm
1: talking about right I do yeah yeah and there's plenty of sex scenes in that and we can go into the whole sex in rape and, and anime and Japanese culture in, in a bit that's why
2: one thing I really did appreciate about bloodlust is that the, the young uh, nubile female at the center of this story was consenting right right <laughs> Yeah, um, because but yeah, the, the 2002 about, audiences demand consent in their stories.
1: The, the thing about that is that Ninja Scroll and Vampire Hunter D. Bloodlust are actually like, it, it feels like two shades of the same film. If you watch Ninja Scroll, there's a lot of the same um, uh, beats that happen in the story. For example, that character, uh, was it Benji, the, the, the shadow guy in, in Bloodlust? Yeah. There's a character just like that in Ninja Scroll, and he maneuvers through shadows and kills you in that same sense. And then there's also things like when uh, Meyer Link at the end, when he got sliced in half and then like he's dead for a little while and then his body like realigns and he's still alive, that's straight out of Ninja Scroll as well. So it's a mix between like what the character in the novel Vampire Hunter D brought to the to, to the Bloodlust story, but also what Kawajiri himself was bringing to it, which is his own personal I mean, he obviously gets a kick out of shadow people and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it's definitely a, a giant mix of all these things we're saying, I think.
0: Yeah. And he, uh, if I remember correctly, he basically had heard the project was coming to be and he de- not demanded, but like begged to be a part of it. So it was kind of a passion project for him as well. Right.
1: Yeah, for, for Certainly. Yeah. He's actually been in the talks for like three or four years about making a Vampire Hunter D TV series and I don't know what's going on with it, but, like, he's trying to bring it back. So it's it's got to be a big thing for him.
0: Yeah. Um. I want to, before, we, we talked about the script. And I can't move forward in this podcast without, like, just venting my my sadness of, over the use of Don Peel. Um, yes,
1: yes, I agree.
0: Or Don Peel. Yeah. like It makes me sad uh, every time they said it. Because it's it's not like... Like it's it's an obvious mistranslation um, because like but is it you, I, I I thought maybe they just is. changed it because it rolls off the tongue easier. No, I mean it. Like if you take the the katakana, like it makes sense why they changed it, especially like cause, or not why they changed it, but like how the mistranslation happened. Oh, okay. Um, because like, uh, basically, if you were doing the katakana, it would be like daun piru which so like they instead of doing the r they change it to the l uh because the r is the r and l combination um so like at some point some guy was like yeah it's got to be dunville i've never heard any other translation of this they made it up and then everyone was like hell yeah <laughs> yeah but you know like i'd like to think that they they did look it up or something
1: because like we you guys mentioned in the last podcast Dampier is actually like a what was it a it's albanian, albanian i think albanian yeah it goes back so i'm like they they had to have maybe they just went with it cuz it's it, it sounds easier to to english ears who haven't heard it before i don't know but that's just the impression i got
0: maybe i it like every time they said it it made like my my like my sadness meter went up a little bit and then like there were points where i was questioning my own sanity where i was like <laughs> Uh, I was like am i wrong is is it not that because uh, they were so there's so much confidence behind it where right, every time right, they say right. it they're like Dan peel Dan peel yeah Dan peel yeah um, I, I hear you and like I've seen
1: this film like probably like 10 some ten times at least so when I watched it again for this episode um you know it, it, at this point I just gloss over it in my mind the the Dun peel thing but I'm glad you guys are bringing it up because I totally hadn't thought about it
2: I like the idea that for, I don't know, a month in the late 90s, Prince bought the rights to the word Dampier and they couldn't use it for fear of litigation. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, then yeah. and then he went, I own too many words. I can sell this one back. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of Prince,
1: uh, how about that guy you guys mentioned in the 85 version who looked like Prince?
2: The, oh, what yes. It, who's uh, Greco. There we go. I was mm-hmm. like, well, I yeah. don't even remember this dude's name now. Yes, Greco, who has the, the very obvious Prince fetish.
1: Right. But then in this <laughs> film, uh, Kyle... It almost looks the same, doesn't he? The, you know, the,
2: yeah. the, the one Marcus brother. I also like, I, I mentioned, while I was watching it, I, Jay, I, I was messaging you on and off, and I really like that one of those brothers is named Kyle. Like, right, everybody's yeah. got a, a real fancy, super elaborate name in this movie, and then the dude with the knives is Kyle.
0: Yep. yep. Yeah. And he's, he's real plain Jane, too. Like, even the way his voice is. He's just like he sounds just like a dude. He's like, guys, why can't we go yeah, and just kill yeah. these vampires? And you're like, all right, Kyle. I just gotta say,
1: there's this one line towards the beginning. It, it, the, actually the scene where they introduce the Marcus brothers where they kill all those uh I don't know if they, yeah they're zombies, I guess. Not vampire zombies, I'm not sure, in that town yeah. in the beginning. And uh Borgoff, he just yells out, It's zombie time. And then Kyle <laughs> Kyle yells out like from off-screen yeah come and get it zombies and it's just such <laughs> a ridiculous line you know
0: that's one of the things I, I actually really liked about this dub is you can tell that like any any chance that they could have fun with the lines especially like d's left hand like that actor was just milking it real right, hard right and i i i love that by this, the way so, that's the was... guy
1: from um i don't know if you guys remember richie rich He's the – that was the guy who played like the scientist that that lived in Richie Rich's house and was like his friend.
2: Really? Yeah. yeah. Is, is, isn't that the – wait, like the the bigger guy? Yeah. Yeah. So isn't that the guy who also played – what's his name? Uh, uh, Muff in Tom and Huck? Or am I the only one who um, was like the right age yes. for those Disney movies? Yeah, I, I don't
0: remember that. Both of those things are true. It was Injun Joe. Um, it's always Injun it's Joe. It's
2: always Injun Joe. Man, nine eleven was Ingen Joe. Uh, shit. What was I gonna? Okay, so uh, it. I don't remember what I was gonna say. Dope. Uh, we okay. So we've actually we've made it pretty far into this conversation. and We really haven't touched on what the movie is about in terms of plot. Okay. So uh, help help the nice folks at home who have no context for anything that we're saying. Um, okay you uh, me, Jay, do you want
0: to do the honors uh,
1: I'm sure Ever,
2: just 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 go <laughs> just do the do the
1: show for me for a little bit so <laughs> right. vampire hunter D bloodlust is the story of vampire hunter D who is a half human half vampire and he's basically a mercenary for hire who gets hired to track down this woman who was kidnapped by this super evil vampire named Meyer link and Meyer link has hired his own set of bodyguards to protect him as he gets his carriage to this castle on the other side of the country. And then it just becomes an all out demon death chase. And, uh, that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. I mean, and as if our, we're a spoiler podcast. So, uh, and it turns out to all, not all, but in part be a, a, a scheme by an old dead vampire right to right. get that sweet sweet human blood yeah because right. she's
2: trying and to it,
1: revive herself
2: right right and and you also find out that the young woman who was abducted in fact is actually going with Meyer abolition because yes. the two of them are in love and it's cute and nice yeah
0: right um there were a lot of really like just just focusing on that relationship um when we were talking about nuance that idea of of exploring what it's like to be a vampire and how like lonely and sad it must be. Right, right. Um, I, and I totally I think like- that they
1: nailed it because there's only, you know, there's only so much um, realism you can have in these things. And the amount that they touched on Meyer Link's personal loneliness and, and you know, it's it's subtle and it's in between, you know, it's, it's only like a couple moments we get of it, but I feel like it's enough to, to carry us along. Whereas if like they overdeveloped that aspect, it could have gone the
0: Twilight route, you know? right 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 um i i so can i ask uh about the spaceship um <laughs> yes they become a, uh he becomes a space vampire at the end of this movie <clears throat> right so like u- ultimately um you know through the the trickery of camilla uh it ends up that charlotte dies and so uh d uh, agrees to let uh meyer take her into space is is this like a prominent thing in the novel or is it just kind of a throwaway piece i i don't remember
1: the novel enough to be honest um i don't remember like the the outcome of things in the novel um i want to say yes but it could possibly be i could be wrong as well but the thing about d is that he never lets any vampires go like you know his whole thing is that He's essentially holding in all the guilt that vampires don't have, and and I don't remember if the film talks about how what, what year this takes place, or if it kind of just said in the future. But in the in the novels, it's uh the novels it's the year twelve thousand AD. So it's been ten thousand years since the year two thousand, and around the year two thousand, vampires rose up and took over the earth, and they're referred to as the nobility. And over the 10,000 years, they lived out their whole existence and they're slowly dying and whittling away, which this film does kind of talk about a bit. But yeah. that's the whole thing is that D is essentially, you know, uh, I can't think of the right word, but totally prejudiced against vampires, I guess you would say. And this, him letting Meyerling go is like a huge, like it might be in the novel, but if it's not, it's definitely like a you know, a very one-time thing that'll ever happen in Dee's life is is kind of the thing that this is going for, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, I really liked this aspect. I I feel like I don't see it super often, uh, but this idea of a hunter uh, essentially doing his thing until the moment that he loses control, at which he's like, I'm cool with being hunted at that point. right? Like, I, I, I actually really liked that piece in that, like, what you're giving me a look? <laughs> like Batman? Is that is that a
2: Batman thing? In like Nolan's Batman movies, isn't that kind of what he does? He's like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the hunter, but I'm gonna take it to the limit, and then I'm okay with being hunted because I gotta be the hero Gotham deserves, but not the yeah, one. Yeah, but right that's now. a little different.
0: A, yeah, it's a little. I, I'd say it's better done in, in Vampire Hunter D in <laughs> that it's like earned, um, <laughs> like in in batman if we're drawing the comparison like he's doing his thing and he is a menace but like um but at the end when everyone knows that he's not responsible he's like i'm gonna take the blame for this because you know like symbolism um right, whereas- exactly whereas
1: vampire Hunter d is is it's it's authentic if if he does get replaced or whatever or if he does lose control it's not like he's pretending to be the
2: bad guy for the sake of the people or something it's all branding right.
0: It's all branding. He's
2: trying to boost his social media presence.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just, I I really like the idea of like using what, like of using this dark power um, to essentially try to, er it's it's like he is imposing his own um, self-hatred on the world. And so he's using the power that he hates so much to destroy um, these vampires so that another hymn will never exist again. Right, right. Uh, and I really like that.
1: Yeah, and especially the whole thing with him letting Meyer Link go at the end is, uh, you, you know, it gets touched on earlier when he's riding towards the castle and his hand is talking to him and he's like, I bet you just know the worst thing that could happen is them making another done peel and that just really riles your feathers essentially. And, you know, great moment because D just kind of clenches the hand to, to make him shut up, which he should do more often. But um yeah. Yeah no I think yeah, wh- I think that the 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 ties beneath that like him letting Myra Link go and, and that whole like murky thing going underneath the surface of him is really strong in that sense like it's not like he just let him go because it's cool for the plot.
2: So I I want to go back now. Why why does he have a left hand that talks to him? Dude, I do not Dude. remember. Um, it, it's some, right. Like it was this something isn't like, something we addressed. Right. Is yeah. It?
1: It's not in the films, but in the books, it's something like he made a pact with this other worldly entity that it would prolong his life in, in the case that he dies, you know, and, and it basically does. It, it's, you know, what is it? It sucks up the, the spell that he's trapped in. It, it's like, it's like a extra life essentially, but it's also a parasite and it needs to live off of him. That's, I guess that's, that's really all we get.
2: Right and it yeah. just keeps just talking to him the whole time and like ragging on him and giving him shit and I feel like that would get real tiresome after a while if like cuz you can't you could chop your hand off I guess but if it's a <laughs> parasite that lives within him presumably it could just like swim over to his other hand and eventually you'd run out of limbs
1: Yeah um, I'm not sure yeah
0: I mean I I actually just accepted it as like cuz in the in the 85 version they were just like there are mutants now and so I assumed that he had just Mutated Mutated like, like in um Total Recall Where Quato,
2: Quato. Yes That's Quato. exactly what I was thinking of Yeah <laughs> Like while I was watching the movie It's like Oh it's like Quato Living in his hand
0: Yeah And I think that it also Is a good way of And I don't know if this was The artist's intention But like of giving exposition while having a really silent protagonist that's that was
2: my next thought too is like this is a device by which we can communicate a bunch of exposition while the dude's riding around on his demon horse right Right. and i I
1: will be the first to admit that this movie doesn't do the best job with its exposition at times um especially when they get to the city of Barbaroi, which is one of my favorite parts in the film um and there's the old man on the what is it a, a or a unicycle <laughs> right and oh yeah uh, and he's basically just laying out everything he's like i've been instructed to take care of the carriage you know like i can't do this i can't let you pass but it's all done in like a very speaking to the audience way as opposed to really speaking to d because d knows all this um yeah but you know that's kind of the hidden and miss of some anime i think is they, they have to get the exposition across in certain ways and and then when they when they uh do the animation like we're saying like they have to match the to the mouths otherwise you know they'll run out of time if they have these overly long dialogue scenes it's easier to just get it out in one chunk
0: yeah um i so i really liked i wish we spent more time in uh barbaroy uh because it seemed like such a whimsical place like this you got this old man on a, on a uh on, a, on the unicycle you have the throwback uh snake ladies hanging out and then you have these three really whimsical like mini bosses with <laughs> like the shadow guy you have the uh the, the absorbing woman and the wolfman
2: right who the um, wolfman does not get his due in this movie sad to say no, but yeah. he does get that sweet transformation moment where he the does, wolf, like, yeah. burst out of his chest, which is pretty dope. Yeah. And then he, yeah. he like, owns Kyle in, like, a split
1: second f- so fast that we don't even really understand how he killed him. He just, like, moved through him or something. But yeah, it was a sweet moment. But uh, I, I wish there was more of the wolf guy for sure. Because then yeah. D, D takes him out in, like, you know, one swipe, basically.
0: Right. And we don't even get to see it. We, just, we come back to the aftermath yeah, yeah. where he, like falls into entwine i assume that like maybe they had planned it out and then they're like we either have budget for this right or right. that sweet spaceship yeah and then uh they were like we got to go spaceship it's always spaceship always spaceship and
1: also i'm not sure if you guys uh thought about it but in the very opening when it's giving you the uh opening uh you know like in the distant future blah blah, blah it's actually showing like destroyed spaceships of other vampires who didn't make it uh, oh yeah that's kind of like very vaguely like setting that up in the beginning
2: i like the idea that vampires really want to get to space yeah. Uh, yeah
0: yeah uh vampires in space, space. I, what would they drink while in space like would they just does, do all of them keep like a human around just to be like keep making that sweet sweet nectar. I feel like
2: you would want to have like a bu- uh, just a handful of people in cryo freeze right, like at right, all times right, on yeah. the ship and just occasionally like drain them as you need to. Essentially, mm-hmm. like a okay. like, like um uh, David in Alien Covenants ending, one of those. Yeah, uh, you know. But just, you, know, you yeah, just use them for food whenever you need to. Right, right.
0: you know how much we love Alien Covenant on this show. Oh, love, Stop love, love okay. pandering. Well, oh, I'm sure so you can ask,
1: You can ask Lex. I fucking love it too, man. Don't worry.
2: Oh, yeah, no, you're the only person that I know that loves that movie as much as I do. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Um, I had something, and it's gone. Oh, no, I remember now. Uh, at a certain point, I want to say it was in the third act when everybody was fighting each other. I realized how much, and not in terms of plot at all, but in terms of, well, I guess I'll, I'll explain this. I was reminded a bunch of Metal Gear while I was watching this, and I think it has a lot to do with these different, factions of weird, colorful mascots that all try and kill each other in really advanced tactical ways. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Right. No, like over and over and over again, like the bodyguards reminded me of the, like, basically at a certain point, I was like, all right, it's like, uh, it's like Sniper Wolf and the Vulcan Raven guy, essentially.
1: Okay. Okay. I can
2: see that. Yeah. Just different factions of mascots trying to tactically murder each other.
0: Yeah. Um, Speaking of that, I really liked the like visual spectacles in this movie like so specifically i i like had a dream about the mantis scene or manta ray scene um where there you have those sand manta rays and they're just like flowing through do you remember this scene yeah Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sandworm thing yeah those were dope yeah and also uh grover's ability when he's i was just just gonna bring that up man he like shoots heroin and just destroys everyone yes it's awesome that is <laughs> the best like i don't think I've, I've never seen that in any other medium where you just have like uh, this really incapacitated dude and then once he gets amped his like soul comes out yeah, and just starts yeah. laying waste yeah really unique um, not only that but like all of the marcus brothers and all of the characters
1: in general have their own unique abilities or even if it's their own weapon you know all the marcus brothers use different weapons and it's like tailored to who they are and and how they you know how they talk and maneuver through the world and everything, as well as like we're saying that the shadow guy and the woman who can, I you know what is it? She can just melt into things and become them. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah, and, and like, and I know. Jay, like you and I were both commenting that we really like the art style in this. Right, and like, I, right, Just watching it, watching it, like the fluidity of the motion, especially compared to the eighty-five version. Like it was <laughs> at no point was it not gorgeous to look at. Right, absolutely. And and the way I think,
1: I mean, this is very specific to Kawajiri's style. I mean, Ninja Scroll and his other films. Um, I'm not sure Atari, if you know, he he also did a, one of the short films in the Animatrix. Which is has the same exact art style with like these deeply layered shadows over everything, and people's eyes are way bigger and much more expressive than than you know your typical anime.
0: Uh, yeah, I'd seen that one. Um, uh, I think it was. It's actually one of the only animatrix uh, shorts that I watch. Like I, there are very few that I, I watch. Not that I dislike it or anything, but like some of them uh, speak to me a little bit more than others, and sure, I think sure. that was one of the ones that. The only one,
2: uh, this is like, Jay, something else I've mentioned to you. The only animatrix short that I remember is Final Flight of the Osiris, which I haven't seen since around when it came out. I remember when it came out, everybody was really excited at how uh, spectacular the effects looked and how amazingly realized these, like, we're we're getting so close to photorealistic CG people. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it. Maybe, Jay, you've probably seen it more recently than I have. Do the effects on that short hold up? Um, yeah,
1: yeah, no, they still hold up. Um, I think, I, I want to say, um, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that the same people who did Final Flight of the Osiris are the same uh, group who did that uh, Final Fantasy movie, The Spirits Within. Yes, oh,
2: yeah, yes, Yeah, yes.
1: and their yeah. whole, I mean, if you go back, I, I rewatched Spirits Within recently also, and it still holds up, man. I mean, there's some, there's some, you know, like the animation, like when they go to turn or move around, you can tell it's not really human, lifelike, but for the most part, it still feels very solid. It doesn't look... You know, like, like the CGI doesn't look dated. It's just like the way people move is the technology they had back then. Um, and in Final Flight of the Osiris, I would say the same thing. And, and there's very like clever designs on how the battle progresses because it's all a battle in the dojo, essentially, before they get attacked right. on, on the, in the real world. And the way the battle progresses, they're slowly removing layers of their clothing as they fight the woman and the man. And that's yeah. Right. And it's, it's pretty, it's really cool. It, it's, it holds up and, and is satisfying. All
2: right. Good to know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Glad uh, to about so, it.
2: okay. So now, now, so now I want to go, I want to go back because this was something, uh, we, we talked last week about how, uh, rapey vampire hunter D 85 was. Yes. And this was something that, that you commented when we, you and I were talking Uh, about you coming and doing the show you were talking about how you you were maybe in a position to contextualize some of that a little bit better Uh, and I was wondering uh, now if you are prepared to do that because oh boy am I fascinated yeah
0: I kind of stumbled through it last week so it'll be good to have someone who knows a little bit more. okay so
1: here's what I'll say and I hope no one you know, wants to fight me over this, and this isn't based on like a specific fact or anything. But from what I've learned about Japanese culture is, and I, you guys might know a little bit about this, is that the way that they uh, treat adolescence from an adult point of view is a lot different than how we do in, this, in, in the United States. Um,
2: oh, and also just for for personal context, right? Like you you you're not speaking out of your ass completely. Like you did live in Japan. I did. Yeah, first. I lived in Japan
1: for two years, um, like almost ten years ago now, but. Also, um, I I currently go to uh, CU Denver for English, and I'm taking a film censorship class where we watch films that were censored throughout different regions and different time or band or whatever for whatever different reasons across the board, like sexuality, politics, uh, violence, like everything you can think of. And we actually just did um, In the Realm of the Senses, which is a 1975 movie um, that shows full penetration and sexual acts all across the film. And it's essentially, it's almost a chamber piece between two people who are in like an obsessive sexual relationship that drives them to the point of death. And they're okay with that. And um, it's actually really, you know, fantastic, interesting film, little tough to sit through when you got to watch it in a classroom full of 15 people, but it's all right. Um, But the thing that I learned about that is that when Pornography became a a thing in society. Essentially, you know, when the dawn of film happened, different countries responded to pornography in different ways. And in, in the United States, we treat it still almost like as a taboo thing. You just you don't talk about it. You know, you know, guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yes, we don't talk about it. <laughs> Whereas in Japan, um, <laughs> pornography was essentially looked at as just another byproduct of cinema. Whereas in the states, we look at it as like. A no-no tangent that cinema went on, whereas like it's just incorporated right. into the whole thing in Japan, and they have a they have rules for their pornography, whereas we don't. Um, obviously, the the most famous thing is the blurring of the genitals in in Japan, but the fact is that yeah. they don't look at it as like a different thing. They're just like, oh yeah, like that makes sense. Why wouldn't you film sex if you had the capability to do so? And at the same time, um, going back to the high school thing is that. They look at adolescence, um, Will they look at their experiences in high school, like the pressures of high school, you know, like how when you were in high school and you're dealing with, you're trying to deal with the social life and your grades and, and like how you're portrayed, what clique you're in, you know, it, it you know might not have been a big deal to you guys as to some others. But when, if you were to tell your parents about those things while you were in high school, your parents would be like, oh, shut up. You're going to grow up. It's not going to matter. Whereas in Japan, right. they kind of that the pressure of high school is a lot stronger and sticks with them and obviously i'm generalizing but this is like from what i've learned from different forms of media and and reading is that you know like a lot of people hold grudges still post high school so you have a lot of people who get into manga and anime for different various reasons and they still have that like high school like this is their chance to kind of get their angst out over everything they felt in high school which is why a lot of um you know Animes, mangas revolve around high school for one. You know, there's a lot of high school settings and they take the high school thing very seriously. But the thing is that in Japanese culture, this is like acceptable. Like no one looks at it like, oh, you need to grow up. It just looks, it's just a part of how things are. So combining like the angsty, unrealized sexual. Pleasures that you didn't receive in high school Combining that with like manga and anime Is looked at as a form of like oh it's just like The artist trying to get out what they feel And if that involves like rape or Sexuality or stuff like that so be it And I'm not certain about now It seems like the world in general is kind of moving In a different direction about these kind of things but In Japan it's a lot more acceptable Than it would be in the states Is kind of the point I'm trying to say
0: Okay so it it's in a way It's seen as like that person Expressing their in t- inner like turmoil so it's, it's almost like when you're reading someone's manga or someone's uh storytelling you're almost seeing their internal monologue and all of their like unspoken uh like w- wants and desires whether it's things they would act on or not like It you're you're basically seeing a look inside of their mind.
2: Right. And depicting something. I mean, this comes up a lot uh, discussing Western media as well. But Like depiction is not necessarily endorsement. So they can depict something like that without without on any level suggesting that this is a good thing or that this is something they themselves would do, given the opportunity. It's just an expression of some really intense line of emotion. Right. Right. And I think that that's
1: totally, you know.
2: Like we're saying, like, I, I'm not trying to speak for
1: everyone or, you know, everybody's story is different and you can't just generalize these things. But it seems like on the broad spectrum that that's kind of what the acceptance of sex and rape is like in, in anime and in Japanese culture. Got it.
0: I mean, yeah, I, I don't think that it, from from my understanding, like Japan's not a big like therapy country like they, in Western civilizations, or at least in Amer- in America we are very much like oh, see a therapist if you like need to talk your things out or well, it's also super stigmatized but like right right we're much more prone to
1: self- self-refle- self-reflection and uh, understanding what's inside of you as opposed to externalizing it and understanding it that way
0: right and so and and I feel like in Japan uh, there is a lot more and I'm also generalizing but I feel like there's a lot more emphasis on essentially keeping your, Emotions inside and maintaining your uh, your own composure and things of that sort. So there's not a lot of uh, outlets for expression.
1: Right, right. There's there's definitely a heavy. Um amount of tradition and respect that goes into these things i mean if you look at how if you've ever been to a japanese store or you know gotten japanese food or something the one big thing is that when you hand them your debit card they hand it back to you with two hands no matter what they should anyway um Uh and that's very much just like a sign of how things are like obviously it's a lot easier to just hand you to you with one hand but the amount of respect that goes into using two hands is just like complete tradition and they're not going to talk about that or change that
0: for whatever reason you know that makes sense is that all tracking with you, Lex?
2: Yeah, this is. I'm just <laughs> listening to the show now. <laughs> this is a great day for me to have an edibles hangover because I don't got to do shit. Yeah, that's that's true. That's
0: um, true. Like-
2: um, but also, too, I think, I think, I think, given all of that, then it's even more interesting that uh, right in Western culture, sexuality is so taboo and is so repressed, and and. Uh, Again, this seems to be changing now. I think, and I think that's for the best. But especially like in America, there's a certain amount of uh, like societal shame that comes along with expressing sexuality. So I think it's interesting that even though, uh, again, very generally, Japanese culture is a lot more rigid in its traditions of respect and of internalizing your emotion and not projecting it to other people. It seems like they are less, far less puritanical about sex and sexuality, and so it can express itself. Uh, it can express itself in ways that. Uh, 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 seem, seem very extreme uh, when it manifests in art. Yeah. But because it is not so repressed, because you're able to express those things that way in a, in a relatively safe way that doesn't impact anybody except maybe emotionally if they stumble onto it in your work and they're not prepared for it, it's not... Because it can get vented that way, it's not being vented into potentially right. destructive action. Right. The way you sometimes see... Here, because we're not able to to vent it or discuss it or be open about about it in any other way. Again, this is a big, yeah. big, big, broad generalization, right?
0: Yeah, we're painting with really like broad brushes. Yeah, that's what right I'm saying. Like, yeah, it's hard to talk here. about these things because,
1: like I said, everyone's story is different, and you can't pigeonhole everyone into the same category. But it does seem like on the broad note that that's kind of what this is. So I don't know how else to say anything about
0: it. Um, and it's it's interesting in that like it's it's very specific to their media like in in terms of expressing like feelings of love and sexuality like to one another um it is uh, very I, i was reading an article or and listening there was like an npr segment about how um especially this generation in japan they uh there's so much anxiety about um expression of uh like feelings of like and love and things of that sort that like their 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 single um population is rising and it, it's people are finding it a lot more difficult to um find uh husbands and wives and things of that sort because they just can't bridge that gap of like expressing that, hey, Lex, I like you. I want to be in a relationship with you. Aww. Um and so uh a lot of people are essentially get going past the like societal ideal of like when you should be single um so like it's it's odd that there's that juxtaposition between this like whimsical expression of sexuality in media whereas like in reality um there's so much of a emotional repression on on that front that it's affecting everyone's like actual sex lives
1: yeah i had not known about that but i feel like that makes sense yeah it
0: yeah yeah it, we're all growing and regressing simultaneously. <laughs> uh, I mean that's life though bro. you know some, some it's like your your stats counter in uh, when you're playing any video game where you're like putting a bunch of uh, ticks in one section and then sometimes like you neglect another section uh, and then you lose an arm and so like your dexterity goes down, but you're still putting it into charisma it's it's just like that
2: <laughs> followed none of that i think it's interesting though <laughs> the idea that maybe right like on some level we have to try and get as close to balance as we possibly can so maybe now that we're living in an age of unprecedented access to information our knowledge or the knowledge we have access to is growing exponentially by the day maybe we have to regress as aggressively as possible just so shit doesn't change too quickly
0: right um, i mean yeah i think that societal heel turns Uh, tend to cause a lot of uh, what one could call whip like I guess you could call it like societal whiplash and that like and it's kind of what we experienced when uh, Obama was elected in that like it was such a big change that it uh, almost radicalized a certain uh, like percentage of us just because it was such a quick change so so suddenly people couldn't handle it. And so, like we've talked on the show a lot about how progress is a slow-turning wheel, um, and sometimes it has to be. In that, uh, I'm, so, I'm just laughing at the idea
2: that it was such a an abrupt, jarring heel turn for some people that black people weren't going away.
0: Um, well, it's it's more it's, <laughs> right. It's, like, well, it's, I know. I mean, I'm with you. No, it definitely
2: but, was for some people, and these are the people like that you're referencing that became radicalized as a result of it. That's just. It just hurts my head. It
0: wasn't that like black people aren't going away. It was more that like they had seen. It's like uh, for them, it's like as if a uh, a farm animal had become president. Like, you you exist alongside, like, your dogs and your cats, um, and you see yourself above them, and then at some point a dog becomes president, and you're like, "What? what is this world coming to? Uh, I, I just, I really want to emphasize this to our listeners, that I'm, I personally am not referring to uh, Obama as a dog, I'm just trying to make the mentality uh put it in terms that everyone can understand um see but the optics
2: on you trying to contextualize it in this manner are still better than the optics of me trying to contextualize it in this manner
0: right uh but uh, <laughs> like and so like that's the big perspective and and so like the two big factors was that one obama was so young and he was black uh and he came in with all these uh ideas for a, a new progressive united states and so people who weren't ready for uh, at least two out of three of those things um, couldn't really handle it. And so, like, if you try to change society or, or like, just your country or you try to change things too fast, um, it becomes overwhelming and it people just start to recede. Like, if you go back to the, the idea of a wheel, like, as things are moving forward, there's always going to be a piece of it that moves backwards.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... Japanese folks are not dating each other.
0: <laughs> yep. That's the moral of that story. Um, oh man. Okay. Uh so we have about like, I don't know, let's say like 10 minutes left or so. Uh was there anything that we haven't covered yet?
1: Um, a couple of things I wanted to say about bloodlust. Please do. So, a couple of things that I just really love about this film. First of all, Pamela Adlon as Layla is just, that's weird that she was in that. That's
2: right. Yes, that was her. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. her, yeah.
1: Um, I really like how they handled Layla's character, though, um, that they didn't, she didn't get raped essentially or had sex with anyone. Um, yeah. But,. There's this one line that I really love, uh, which is right before she, uh, when she sees D coming into the town and Kyle's next to her and he looks at her and he's like, have I told you how irresistible you look in that sexy skin type getup? And she's like, no, tell me about it. And he's like, I just did. Make sure you watch your back around that done peel. And, you know, like that, the way that that dialogue went at first, you're like, oh, is he going to be like a rapey, creepy brother? Or no, he's actually trying to like, you know, put it in a different perspective for her. And I thought that that was a really good character moment and dialogue moment as well, that you don't really get much of in animes like these.
0: Yeah, I feel like it was a very, like, uh, I guess, strong moment for that character. And that like, that was the one thing that I I was, part of me was waiting for her and uh, D to make out at some point, just because like, that's how a lot of these things go, but, uh, it never happened. They were always equals and they were, they were always, uh, kind of moving towards their own wants and needs. Like she was, there was never a point where she was acting on someone else's desires, which I thought was awesome.
1: Um, Also the play on expectations at the very final scene, I thought was excellent. Um, you know, it goes into the final, the funeral scene and you're thinking, you should be thinking like, Oh, this is the funeral for the girl who died that Meyer links uh, uh, girlfriend or whatever. But no, it's actually like what, 50 years later. And it's Layla who's died and D's showing up at the funeral to pay his respects and, and keep good on the promise he made, which is a deep, deep fucking moment for, for D as far as any kind of depth we've gotten from him at all. I think that that one speaks volumes about who he is as opposed to the, anything else.
0: Yeah. It, I think the, yeah. Cause essentially we get, this idea of how lonely it is to be a vampire and the fact that like D being kind of the epitome of of loneliness this like lone ranger gunman person and having him having actually made a friend and like established this connection with someone who was able to one get out of the business that they're in which is something that they'd never thought that they would mm-hmm. be able to do but in addition like having someone who isn't his left hand that he actually cared about enough to go back and and see through to the end was really touching like it 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 hit all of the themes that they had been uh establishing throughout the movie uh so i agree it was super strong um
1: another another thing dude meyer link i just love meyer link man like he is one of my favorite (laughs) vampires let's just say that I, i love the way he looks his whole look the white hair with like the slightly less white face and then he's got like the weird little like strands of hair with like beads in them, you know, like, I'm not really sure what's mm-hmm. going on there, but he's just got like this, he's got this countenance <laughs> about him that is just like, man, like it floors me that like he was drawn the way he was drawn. It just feels so like demanding and, and like can say so much without saying anything. And, and, you know, I get it. He's a, you know, troubled vampire essentially, but it, it, I don't know. Like he's just got a presence, I think that that really sticks out to me, as
2: as opposed to any other vampires that I can think of. Does he go to space at the end of the novel? I don't remember, man. I, I don't remember. I'm <laughs> um, uh, really, I'm, I'm really fixated on this because I, I want to know what Meyer link does
0: once he gets out there. He, he, like hangs out. He, he sees the stars um what a certain point starves to death right at a certain (laughs) point he's gonna get hungry right and he's
2: gonna have to feed so like so like where does he go but i I like like the idea that maybe he finds maybe he finds another planet and he just starts turning aliens into vampires that'd be sick Uh, but i feel like that's
1: not i I feel like almost like his, (laughs) his whole thing is that he's okay with dying at this point is what it seems like you know uh You know, it's almost like he just knows, like, you know, his his girl died and he still wants to take her body into space. I feel like that's, you know, he's just killing himself, essentially, like committing a slow suicide, but
2: i like the idea that he's like uh he's like hulk at the end of age of ultron and he just goes off by himself and then without meaning to just ends up like going through a wormhole ends up on another planet <laughs> where he puts on a sweet helmet and picks up an axe and he just fights shit and bites people and aliens and turns them into more <laughs> space vampires builds a little army leads a revolution meyer link
0: he fights he bites um... Uh Tari's-
2: what is that called? Dabbing? Ugh, yes. Is it still called dabbing. Stop
0: telling everyone about my <laughs> dabbing. Um, oh, man. Uh, there was a pun at some point that Jay made, and I was going to acknowledge it, but we're too far out. It had, it had to do with count something. He was count, like-
2: Oh, countenance. And yes, countenance. It was something about how he's a count, yes, like Dracula. Yes, right? thank you.
0: Um, that was that. But also, him going to space, I, I think I really liked that also, mostly because it, allowed, it would allow him to die on his terms. Like- every vampire on earth is being hunted to death. So, but like him going into the, the city of eternal night um, allows him to just kind of like die in peace, right. which is pretty nice. Um, I also like to imagine that as he was taking off, he was playing fly me to the moon because why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah. It's
2: like dancing up there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: With, Oh, the, well, the uh, image of him dancing with like a corpse is, is, where I went with that in my brain. Because it's, it's, he's like dancing with her body. He's like, oh man, we're going go to, we're going to And the song is super
2: happy, but he's like really expressively, like theatrically sobbing. Oh yeah. Like he is big, weeping. just like, yeah, like unnaturally large sobs.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: like it makes everybody so uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Two more things I wanted to say is, um, I don't know if you guys knew that there's a PS1 video game of this novel. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it uh came out on PS1 in like 1998 and it's basically a if you've ever played any of the old Resident Evils, it's a complete clone of of those games. Um it's kind of terrible, but I have it and <laughs> I've never gotten too far, but it's it's the same story though. It's but it, it all takes place once you arrive at Carmilla's Castle and it's it all takes place there. Okay. I just thought I'd throw that in for a tidbit, and then the other thing is that um, I'm not sure if it came across, but that the big thing about D is that he is—it's never been spoken outright, but he is Dracula's son. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys caught that. They—they kind of mention it in this one about how he's the son of the vampire king. Yeah, um, that's, yeah,
2: that's right. There's a whole little little strain that I totally forgot about.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's the whole thing—is he's. He's the the son of Dracula, which I'm guessing is what the D is supposed to be, but but they've never like even in the novels, they've never acknowledged it by name. They just kind of hint around it.
0: Uh, oh, I had assumed that D stood for Dampier.
1: I mean it could. Dan um, stands for
0: Dan. It's yeah. It's Dan Pier.
2: No. <laughs> damp Yeah, Damp Pier.
0: You know what's the worst thing about a damp peer? Slipping yeah. and falling. They're slippery. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 Um, <laughs> gross. Um, okay. Uh, I think we need to wrap. Uh, I hear, Jay, that you uh, have a story that's coming out soon.
1: I do. I've just been, uh, I just got my first short story published. Uh, it's coming out in a book this summer called Stories Through the Ages, College Edition 2018. And I think it comes out in July and uh, you can buy it on Amazon if you're so inclined.
0: Nice. Uh, I think we uh, can tweet out the, the link so people can enjoy it. Yeah. If you
2: make sure we have the link, we'll make sure other folks have the link. Awesome. As well. Hell yeah! Cool and hey, thank you for coming and doing the show. Uh, and now that we've figured out the tech of having people do the show remotely, this is something that we can do on a semi-regular basis, as as everybody sees fit, as uh, as the good Lord above will bless us thusly. <laughs> Um, but yes, and, and obviously, like like I mentioned at the top of the show, like uh, Jay, you've been you've been very quietly and subtly contributing to the show for a little bit, so it was cool to actually have you on uh, the counselor. I only know about the counselor, or I only knew to watch the counselor uh, because of you. For example, so. uh uh, yeah, good Absolutely. shit, good shit. I'm, applaud- I'm applauding for <laughs> you
0: and me and 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 things and yep. content recording. I'm so tired. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's it's very nice to meet you. I've heard your name a million yeah. times. Um, and, uh, Lex is always saying how he wishes I were you <laughs> and how if he could, if you were in LA, he'd be doing this show with Jay and I'm a, I'm a pale comparison, something like that. Like it, it, it's all variations of the same thing, different words, same hurtfulness. To
2: be fair, you only launched the show to one day replace me on it.
0: Um, yeah it's a race to see who can replace <laughs> the, other one, the other one with someone else uh, ultimately it will just end up being Jay and Andrew <laughs> and we are going to be sunsetted at some point well it's been a um, pleasure guys and thank you for inviting me <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any social media you want to share with anyone
1: um, hey, uh, Instagram uh, munchy King 131 that's uh nice munchy with uh, IE at the end And uh, it's all one word, no spaces.
2: Uh, So if you want, hit me up. Oh, and you don't really do the, yeah, you don't really do the Twitter thing.
1: I have a Twitter, but I don't, you know, I just, I just look at it to see what people like
0: uh, Hideo Kojima are posting these days. Yeah, it's a fad. It'll go away soon anyway. (laughs) Um, Actually, it's very funny. Uh, So we got an email uh, from one of our fans, and I really wanted to share it with, with, with Uh, the rest of you guys because it was really nice and I I really uh was happy someone took the time to uh reach out to us we we talk about this all the time uh we are on iTunes and Google Play Store Stitcher now we're on Anchor as well um and so like if you have a chance and you love what we're doing make sure that you like subscribe and and leave us a comment and and uh stars so that we can uh One, bask in the validation, but two, like we can share uh, your love with the rest of the the audience. And so we got an email from uh, Ed Pierce uh, and he was saying, uh, just listen to the Roseanne and Monty Python podcast. Great job. Very professional. Some of my favorite highlights included the discussion about separating the politics of the actors from the show itself in Roseanne. Uh, The Death of Stalin description, uh, I really want to see that film now. The breakdown of Monty Python in general, uh, I'm making a a great okay symbol with my hand. Um, I agree with the point that it's probably the godfather of its genre. Anyway, keep up the great work, Ed. Uh, thanks, Ed. Yeah, so thank you, Ed. Uh, I really appreciate you listening to the show. Uh, I really appreciate your, your kind words. Uh, if you out there would also like to give us your own kind words, uh, do so on iTunes. Uh, you, you know, the link or you can tweet at us, send us a, uh, message on Twitter at missing outcast in Uh, you can either slip slide into our DMS and, and give us some sweet, sweet notes, um, or do it in public, uh, for, so everyone knows how much you love us. Just
2: catch us on the street and yell nice things.
0: Yeah. Uh, It'll it'll be dope. It'll it'll be so good. Um, but yeah, that's that's all of the housekeeping. Uh, Lex, where can they find you?
2: Uh, I'm all over social media at the Lex Michael.
0: Awesome, and I'm at Tari J. That's T A U R I J A Y. Once again, I'd like to thank Jay for coming on uh, and lending your sweet sweet expertise. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bra pew, pew pew crack crack crack, crack. Hell yeah Sounds duh, duh,
2: everybody duh, duh, likes sounds you you can't, d- you can't d- buy d- production d- value this good <laughs> <laughs>